0: I want to speak to you this morning about the Holy Spirit and the war against our sinful self, the war against me, you, right, so turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, I'm reading in the NLT, I'm really enjoying this, just a a fresh, I normally read the ESV, and I started just doing my devotions in the NLT, I think I've got through about seven or eight books so far, and I'm just loving it. It just gives me a fresh lens. So I'm going to be speaking from that. Must I try and keep still, Steph? Is that? Hello, guys, online. I I like to move a lot when I preach, so I'll I'll try and keep within a space here. So turn to Galatians 5. We're gonna look at it almost verse by verse this morning. So very exegetically, we're gonna go through that. And I just wanna quickly catch you up again if you weren't here, or remind you if you were. I spoke on the Holy Spirit five weeks ago or four weeks ago. I was speaking on the Holy Spirit, but I was speaking on a, a very different angle, and I was looking at who is the Holy Spirit and who is God. How has God revealed Himself to us through the history of the the biblical history of of his people? And so we looked at this idea that God wants so much to be with Israel that he says, I want you to build me a tabernacle. And it has to be perfect because I'm going to come and tent among you. Like going on a camping trip and God says, I'm going to also have a tent, but I want to be with you. But you can't come close. You can't touch the mountain. You're going to die. And you know, the guy who's like carrying the ark and the ark stumbles, the the oxen stumble and the ark's going to fall off. And he tries to touch the ark and God strikes him dead. And you're like, what's going on? So God comes down. In this cloud, but it's the scary cloud in some ways. And the Spirit falls on people. Deborah, uh, Samson, David, all these great men and women of the Old Testament. But he falls and he lifts and he falls and he lifts. He never stays. And then comes Jesus. And this is the game changer in the New Testament where where the Spirit falls. As he comes up out of the water, it says the Spirit of God descended like a dove upon him. The Father speaks, I'm well pleased with you. And from that moment, the Spirit never leaves Jesus again. In fact, John the Baptist says, I baptize with water, but he, pointing to Jesus, will baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is the way that we receive the Holy Spirit. He passes the baton, he says, I got it, it never left me, and I give it to you. And this is the beautiful story of, of Christmas, right? Christmas redeemed. We know it comes from some other pagan thing. Christmas redeemed, to the pure, all things are pure, And this is the cloud becomes a person. Emmanuel, God with us. Philippians 2 speaks about how Jesus came down, pressed into the form of a servant. And it continues with this beautiful language. And then not only did Jesus come, but he was experienced by men and women just like us. It says 1 John, one of his disciples, in 1 John he says, we touched him. We've seen him with our own eyes and this language of experiencing Jesus. They see him rising from the dead. They see him rising, other people, from the dead. And then at Pentecost in Acts 2, we see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Jesus starts to say these concerning things to his disciples. He says, I'm going away. They're like, what, Lord? But don't worry, he says, I won't leave you as orphans. I will come to you again. And he says, "It's better for you that I go." Are you remembering the sermon? Hopefully, I thought it was one of my best in the year. You know, one of the, one of the first, one of the only live ones we've done this year. What a crazy year! But so the, the in many ways, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is Christ Himself. Back And the reason that he says it's better for you that I go is because if Jesus had stayed, he could only have like his group of 10 or 12 or, or maybe 100 people around him. In South Africa, we would never have even heard of, we wouldn't have been able to be with Jesus. But when the Holy Spirit comes, all of a sudden anyone who believes anywhere, in any culture, any race, any land, whether they even just look at the stars, as Romans says, and they declare the glory of God, and they say, I don't know what your name is, but I want to worship you and I want to put my faith in you. The Holy Spirit comes in and dwells that person through faith. And so it's better for you that I go. Because when I go, I'm sending one who will go to the whole world. Right. And I'm getting very excited about that. But that's not what I'm preaching about. I literally wrote on my notes, go quick. So much for that. Right. Let's read Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16. So, Paul speaking, writing to the Galatians. And this is what he says. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. One hope. I want to say to you this morning, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit wants, and the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires now you don't have to put your hand up but put your hand up in your heart who recognizes this next part these two forces are constantly fighting each other so you are not free to carry out your good intentions as will be proved again this year on january the first make your resolutions write them down come back to galatians You can't carry out all of your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow the desires of the sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery. Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. I could go on and on, he's saying. Let me tell you again, as I've told you before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, so grateful. For our God, who says that so many times, when you read his word, it's a repeating theme. But God, this is who you were, but God. This is how you would have lived, but God. This is what your desires would have looked like, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. So your sins are dead. They on the cross with Jesus, they're dead. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part. Of our lives, Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. What a practical piece of scripture. Let's pray together this morning. Father, so many different people in the room today. Maybe some who don't know you. I want to pray right in the beginning as we read this text. Lord, would you pierce through all the reasons, all the reasons why they don't come to you, and show them your heart this morning. Show them that you are the only way for us to truly defeat sin in our war against our own sin in our lives. Father, there's, there's many this morning who probably feel really despondent as we battle our own sin week after week and we grow sick of ourselves, we grow tired of ourselves and we get despondent and our hope is low because we find we just fall again and again and again. I pray your hope this morning. I pray your comfort. I pray your freedom in the name of Jesus. Father, some of us have been following you a long time and we still want to come with honesty and say, This is difficult. It's so hard to not give in to the sinful cravings of our own heart. But we come again to you and ask that you would help us see rightly. Every time we preach, we want to ask that you'd take off layers almost from our eyes, that we would see you rightly. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. And so when we begin reading, and we read a verse that says, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. It means that there's other things which can guide your life, right? By implication, it means there are other things which can guide your life. So Paul, if you go, go do this later on, right? Go back home and read Galatians 5 verse 1 to 15. So the verses that I don't have time to cover this morning. Basically what Paul is saying is that he's saying there's another way to try and guide your life and it's called the law. It's called moral keeping. It's called behaving correctly, And he wants wants to tell us something, and in this chapter 5, he says this to us. He says, you know what, you try with these outward signs. So the one he's speaking about is circumcision, the snip-snip. And that was the sign, that was the sign of being part of the Israelite nation, right? And so now these guys have come to faith in Jesus through faith alone, and now others are telling him, yeah, but you also have to have, and you also have to have, and you also have to have. Now before we get too judgmental on the Israelites... In the early church, let's think about our churches. Isn't that how we so often disciple our people? We don't necessarily go after the heart all that much. And we say, look, you need to learn to behave like a Christian. So what you need to do, stop sleeping with your girlfriend. What you need to do is stop telling racist jokes at the bra. And those things are... We need to stop doing those things, right? Those are, but that's not where we start. Those things flow out of a heart that's changed. And so Paul is saying to them, and I mean, listen to this, right? Religious behavior, moral keeping, the good life, whatever you want to call it. Paul says to them, if you try and get to God like that, Christ will be of no value to you. Verse 2. He carries on, if you didn't get it, and he says, you will be cut off from Christ. And then he carries on, in case you, like we're in the E class for maths, and he says, if you, I was in the E class, and I got an E in my trick, just before I get slammed for that, okay, he says, you have fallen away from God's grace, strong language, and so Paul is contending in Galatians and I'm, I'm pleading with you this morning through the word of God. I'm saying no, no, no. You cannot live a religious life that brings you to God. So I say, says Paul, let the Holy Spirit guide your life. Then you won't be doing, the next verse, what your sinful nature craves. Okay, now we have an immediate and obvious problem alright, <laughs> every true believer, there's, there's two sides on this coin, every, I believe every true believer when we read a verse like this, something in us leaps up and says, yes, I want that, I want a life where I don't crave what my sinful nature is constantly putting like the buffet in front of me, hey Paul, why don't you try this, why don't you try this, why don't you, oh this looks nice, doesn't it, and I, I want to be able to say no to all of it. And so we, one part of us lives in this, in this like rejoicing where we, we want to like say, Lord, set us free from whatever, addiction to pornography and lustful things. Set us free from anger, which so overwhelms our lives at times that it feels like it wants to destroy us and destroy our kids or destroy our career. Set us free from self-pity. Set us free from selfish ambition, which is there when I arrive at work on the desk. And then I take it home with me. And then at night when I'm sitting watching TV, I'm just enjoying rubbing my selfish ambition. Just me. Just me in the room. So that's the one side. Our hearts leap up and say, I want that. But then immediately, the other side of our hearts leap up and say, but that's not you. Right? Can we be honest this morning? My, my heart, my, my lived experience, I've been following Jesus since I was five years old. My lived experience as a 38, almost 39 year old man is that I cannot say, then I won't be doing what my sinful nature. Instead, I find Romans 8, a far more accurate description of me. It says, Paul says in verse 22, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I really do. But I see in my members another law, waging against the law of my mind and making me captive, putting me in chains to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, wretched woman that you are. The other version, this verse, NLT says, miserable that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Do you know what some of the commentators say that image is? That's an image from tyrants who would tie a dead body. Onto attain it onto them as a form of torture, ultimate death. As the body decayed, so you would decay. So you're a living corpse. And that's some of the imagery that Paul is using here when he says, Who will break these chains? Who will deliver me from this body of death? The sin that is tied on me. I can't get it off. Isn't that more your lived experience? Or again, is it just me? We really need some water. All this talk of death. And then he says this most profound little statement. Romans 8.25 But thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, the name of Jesus. We're set free. Covenant-keeping God. The one who loves us in our sin. Finds us in our brokenness. And Paul is saying exactly the same thing here. He's saying there's a guide. The Holy Spirit is our guide. There's another option. We have a guide who can lead us constantly, continually, against the sinful cravings of our sin hearts. Let's carry on. You with me so far? Verse 17 says, the sinful nature wants to do evil. I mean, hopefully as I'm speaking about this guiding Holy Spirit that can set us free. There's something of a longing in our hearts that 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 awakens and says, I want that, I want that. But I know for others in the room, actually, there's a despondency in your heart. And you say, Man, I have tried. I have tried for years, and this sin just keeps on getting me again and again. I've tried not to gossip, but man, when there's someone, it's just so juicy. It's just such a good story try so hard, but I, but I have to tell someone. And we fight this. And you despondent. And you say, Paul, I know it's supposed to be like this, but honestly maybe it's for other Christians. Maybe it's for, for those guys in church. You have it all together. I can see it on a Sunday morning. I can see it. they so together. They have it all so well put together. Maybe it's for them. If that's you, man, this verse is an incredible comfort to us. Just this just this little part. The sinful nature wants to do evil. Not like little white lies. Evil. <laughs> this is why it's a comfort. Because your sinful nature is doing exactly what the Bible says it's supposed to do. I find that a, a deep comfort that the Bible recognizes that we're we crave sin, that we are evil to the core, that given the right circumstances and the right upbringing, that I would be Hitler. It's not over there, out there, it's me given a different environment. It's the, all of us with this evil inside of us. The sinful nature wants to do evil. And I think if we could just admit that, if we could stop pretending to one another and admit that our sinful nature loves the flesh, it loves sinning, it can't wait for evil. I think we'd go a long way to truly understanding the grace that begins to flow into our lives and the guiding of the Spirit, because we spend so much time just trying to reason with ourselves, justify our sin. Like, you know, yes, I told a little, a little racist joke at the briar, but you know what? I didn't ride over the guy in the board parking lot. I didn't drag someone behind my bucky. And those guys, God, go go. those guys. Or we spend huge amounts of time in the company of the accuser. That's one of the names that the, devil use, the Bible uses for the devil. Get that right. <laughs> and he says, you know what? You don't actually love the Lord. If you did, you would never dot, dot, dot. He says, you may as well just give up you'll never be like those other Christians. And so we spend all our time and our energy coming up with excuses instead of just saying, you know what, I'm sinful to the core. I crave it. I desire evil. And this verse comes and speaks wonderful relief over us. And it says, this is what the sin nature is supposed to Do this is how you will feel, and then he says, Which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants to do. You following me? All right, let's carry on. Verse 17, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit will never be justifying our sin. Don't hear me say that, the Spirit will never. Give us cheap grace. Oh, I'll just do this today because tomorrow I'll just say, hey, Lord, please forgive me, and I'll just be forgiven. Cheap grace. The Spirit will never condone those things. But what He will do is He's our God. And He begins to say, hey, hey, don't do that. Paul, no, 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 don't, no, don't, no, no. Come this way. Come this way. Here's a better way. 1 Corinthians ten twelve says something like, I can remember it now. 1 Corinthians ten twelve, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide the way out that you may stand up under it. So it's like you're going through a tunnel, and tunnel of temptation, and you're like, "I I know this is wrong. And the Spirit is going, hey, here's a door, come this way. Hey, here's another door, come this way. this is the guiding of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's carry on. I call this point in my notes the mother load. This is the most important thing I believe I'm going to say this morning in this preach. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. I want you to say with me the Spirit. I really can't hear you. I want you to say with me, the Spirit, say, gives me, I want to insert a word, new desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. Amen. Amen. Preach it, guys, because this is how we are brought up as children We're taught, try harder. Behave better. Grit your teeth and make it happen, Hotson. That's me. Not accusing you. Beat yourself. You should be ashamed. And if we can just make ourselves ashamed enough, maybe then we'll change. And it doesn't work. This is... This is the problem with religion keeping. This is why religion keeping is so pointless because it tells you what you need to do but it gives you no power to do it. This is the problem with the Old Testament law is that it says this is what you need to do. This is the way you need to go. This is how you need to behave. Good luck. That's the problem with every other religious system in the world. Here's a set of rules. Here's a set of guidelines. Go follow them. It's the problem with seeing Jesus as a good teacher or Christianity as some good principles. Guys, you can plug all the good principles you like into your life. You can plug all the good teachers you want into your life. You can plug all of the behavioral understanding Everything and I promise you you'll still find in your quiet moments on your bed at night, that you are rotten just like me, to the core, unless someone begins to change the desires inside of our heart, we're doomed. And this is what this Galatian text is promising that the spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. I mean, even salvation begins here. The spirit comes to a broken man or woman, a sinful man or woman and he begins to lead them to salvation. We don't come. It's not one good idea I had one morning let me go and find Jesus. Like Delirious, I remember one of the guys who mentored me in my like, 18 to 22 year old Phase, Mike Griffin used to get so irritated with that song, uh, I found Jesus. Do you remember that? I found Jesus. And I'd just look across, I'd be like, whoa, I found Jesus. And I'd look across at Mike and he'd be like, Jesus found you. (laughs) Jesus found you. And I always just remember that. But it's even our salvation itself. One theologian says it like this He says, We bring nothing to the altar of salvation but the sin which makes it necessary. Powerful. So there's only one Jesus, only one Spirit, who doesn't simply tell us what to do. He tells us what to do and changes our hearts so that we can do it. So that we can do it. And our desires get confirmed. Completely flipped on their heads. Have you noticed this when you come to Christ? Suddenly, things that, that would completely have turned you off, like singing worship. I mean, what is with that? It's just like a bad rock band, right? Who wants to listen to a bad rock? Suddenly, you're like, oh, I like this. I want, to, I want to, what is happening with my hands? I want to kind of, hey, new desires. Or you, you, you want you know, hundreds of different examples. You can figure them out. Let's carry on because we're running out of time. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not able, you are not free to carry out your good intentions. All you need to know there is it's not easy. Sin is not beheaded in a moment and then you're free. Constant fighting. Little story, R.T. Kendall, some of you will know him, a very well-known author, preacher, was friends with Pete who used to lead New Gen, and so he had come through quite regularly, and I remember one day sitting in a a small room with a few of us asking questions, and Pete asked R.T., who was in his, R.T., as he says it, he was in like his his middle 70s, R.T., what's your greatest fear? And R.T. said, my greatest fear is moral failure. Falling sexually is actually the language that he used. And Pete who always was very quick with a quip, said, Artie, give us hope. Give us hope. You're like, you're almost at the end of your days. And Artie said, it never goes away. And I always remember that moment. And when I read this verse, it reminded me, there are these forces constantly warring, fighting inside of you. All right, I want to make one little comment on verse 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, etc., etc. And the passing observation is this. What I love about this list is that in the beginning, for someone like me who's grown up in a Christian home and followed Jesus since I was five years old, I, I kind of feel a little bit justified when I read the beginning of the verse, you know? Like, I haven't done those things. I've never, I've never set up an idol, idolatry. I've never engaged in sexual immorality, I'm, I've not like done sorcery. That's like witchcraft, and you know. And then, what I love so much about this verse is it just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller. The circles just keep going, and all of a sudden, it's outbursts of anger. Because I know I have done those. I have done those other things, right? I have done those other things, but I just want to try and convince myself that I haven't. But this, this just doesn't let me off the hook. Outbursts of anger, division, selfish ambition, envy, wild parties. I mean, we just had one last night with Bernie and Prisca's wedding, right? <laughs> it wasn't actually, it was wonderful. But that's all I want to say there is that eventually when we read scripture, the circles become so small that eventually we have to shout with Romans 3, all have sinned, I have sinned, it's, it's me too, it's like the lesser known me too, right? Hand up, Me too. I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we turn to the other way, but, and I'm going to speak about this next week a lot more because time is short. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace. Guys, think on these things If we will follow the Holy Spirit, ask yourself: Am I loving? Am I peaceful? Would people who know me describe my life as ongoingly joyful, peace-loving, patience? Oh my goodness, that's where I get skewered to the polystyrene. Patience. Just try coming in my home. Petey's living with us for the moment. Five little kids running around. He's amazing. I'm doing so well because he's there. But patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. I'm not a gentle person. Self-control. So how does all this work? Let's wrap it up in the last few minutes. See, my experience, and I know this is your experience too, is that I am continue sinning I don't just continue sinning in like an oopsie daisy kind of way I desire sin I enjoy eating the fruit of sinfulness it's pleasurable to me and I need to admit that when I tell someone exactly where to shove it it feels great Right? My experience teaches me that although I do truly love Jesus and I do with all my heart and I love his people and I love his church, there are examples almost daily in my life where the fruit of the Spirit is not on display. Ask my wife, ask my children, ask my friends, ask me. I read verse 21. And it says this, let me tell you again, after it's just listed all these sins, including anger and these things which I know I struggle with. He says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I I wonder, is this me? Isn't this me? Am I in danger of missing the kingdom of God? I'm talking... Yeah, but Christians, who have these raging contradictions. Do you ever have the hypocrisy flag going up in your life? Deed, 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 like an alarm bell. Again, just me. Should have stayed at home and preached this to myself this morning. <laughs> I'm talking about reading verse 24. Okay, Mr. Tom, I'm nearly there. About reading verse 34, and it says, 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. And I say, Hallelujah, yes, but I want to confess there were times, there are times in my life where I don't feel that that's true. It's running all over my heart, and I'm like, How is this nailed to the cross? How is this dead? So if that's hopefully not what the verses are saying, what are they saying? What these verses are saying, and this is where I'll land this morning. These verses are saying that the Holy Spirit, as our guide, is able to lead us into a place where we live a growing Christian life. That's what it's saying. That with the power of the Holy Spirit, we live a growing Christian life. The Bible speaks about farming, not McDonald's. But we love McDonald's. Just pull up, put your order in, pay your bucks, get your burger two minutes later. It should make you question the burger, right? The Bible speaks about farming. We love McDonald's. We love, well, I gave my life to Jesus last week. What's the sin doing in my life this week? I paid the money, I said the prayer, I took communion. What's this thing doing in my life? I should be collecting the burger from the window, right? The way that scripture speaks is sowing. And guys, this is what we need to know. Find some old believers and ask them about the sin in their life and the victories that they've had and the battles that they had because it takes years five years, 10 years, 20 years, till you die years, and you put some seeds in the ground. And last week, you just gossip to everybody. This week, you gossip to nearly everybody, but the one time you don't, the Holy Spirit has planted a seed, and that seed begins to grow And 10 years later, 15 years later, your family and your friends and your church community, instead of reaping a busybody gossip in their midst, are reaping a beautiful benefit of the doubt, safe in your mouth kind of person. Because the Holy Spirit, what started as these little green shoots, just barely visible, Just pushing through the ground. Tender shoots in 15, 20, 30 years time are reaping a harvest of righteousness. Great oak trees. You're like walking through a forest and you're like, wow, Doug and Janet, look at your lives. I want to be just like them. I really do. You walk and it feels like you're walking in shade on a hot day. Gracious lives. I say something, Doug just says, I think you could be more. Gracious, but in a very gracious way. (laughs) Little shoots. It works just like this. Do you know what justification is? It's the thing that happens the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ. Just as if I had never sinned is how I remember justification. Just as if I'd never sinned. That's a positional word. That means that in a moment, Kaelin, God sees you. You give your heart to him, and he says, mine. When I look at you, I don't see Cailin. I don't see your flaws. I see my daughter, and I see Jesus. And you're positionally justified, as if you had never, ever sinned in your whole life. Then there's sanctified. This is the experience that those you love have of you as you're growing to be more like Jesus. And it's this tension of, yes, I'm already justified, but I'm slowly being. Sanctified, And so when we read a verse like, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God, it excludes us. We don't have to feel condemned and, you know, wavering in, am I really saved? Am I actually a believer? We recognize, this is not me. I don't embrace this life. I don't want to live this life. As long as there's warring going on in our hearts and our consciences are saying, no, no. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us. We can know we are His, even if we are a brand new little baby who does 99.9% of the sins and just 001 is the only redeemed part of us. Still, we can say, that's not me anymore. Yeah, but it looks like me. I know, but it's not me. He's nailed it to the cross. And so we grow and we respond when we we read this those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Instead of feeling condemned like, but I see it all over my life, we say hallelujah! Thank you, God. It, it, it makes this grateful response come up in my heart that every single temptation and sin I can ever face, He has defeated. Not because I have, because He has. And I will learn. And one day in glory, oh my goodness, guys, you are going to see a perfect body. I'm going to look like Olivia House. You are going to see much more than that. Sinlessness. I will never love in a broken way again. I will never have ambition, ungodly ambition in my heart. And the things that ravage us now, guys, look around at the world. It's hard. It's broken. It's desperate. And we need to carry this light and say, but Jesus, there's a guide. There's another way to go through this world. There's another way. There's another guide. It's not religious observance. And This is the kind of life that every single one of us have available to us. So this was my goal this morning. I wanted to encourage us. I want to breathe hope into the room. I want to help us pastorally to understand how we reconcile the contradictions in our lives, because I think so many of us just pretend they're not there, and you're not blessing anybody. I don't say you got to like just put it all out on the table every time you meet someone. Hey, my name's Paul. Can I tell you this is what I struggle with? I'm not saying that, all right? But I'm saying, can we be real? Can we be real about the contradictions that I want to sin going on in my life? I want to I wanted to, my goal was to try and orientate us this morning to the true guide, that we don't go and chase off the religious observance and chase off the moral behavior. You guys in dating relationships, there's tons of you exploding across our congregation. Praise the Lord Jesus. I'll do all your weddings. I'll do them for free. All right? I want to tell you, it's hard. Kate and I were there not all that long ago, 17 years ago. It's difficult. It's difficult. I know what it's like. And the devil is going to accuse you at every turn. I'm not asking for perfection. What I'm asking for is that you say, Spirit of God, come and live alive in us. Make our conscience clean and alive again. And when you make mistakes, Spirit of God, I'm not going to live under condemnation. Bring it to the light. Find people, helpful people around you. Have your relationships in community. Don't just you two secluded in a little corner. You're going to struggle. Anyway, I don't know why I'm talking about relationships, but I just saw lots of you holding hands and inappropriate things. (laughs) All right. Let's finish there for today. We're going to take communion because this is what Jesus has made available to us. Remember, Jesus passes the baton of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shines back on Jesus and says, look at him. Isn't he wonderful? Isn't he wonderful? Bates spoke so beautifully on communion last week, and he encouraged us to look back. I want to do that this morning as we take communion. Look back on what Jesus has done, but look back on this is who I was. This is who I was. And I'm not where I want to be. I want you to look forward. And I want you to say, I'm not where I want to be. And as we take communion, we say, Jesus, we remember what you've done because that's, that's the only thing that will take me where I want to be. I'm not where I was. I'm not where I want to be. But man, I've grown. That's the joy, right? That's the joy. I love seeing our students who've gone away for a couple of years because when you live with people every day, you often don't see that incremental growth. You know, you go away for two, three years, you come back, you're like, Bro, where were you when you were in our church? This is awesome. Just growth. So we look forward to a day when we will be perfect. Bates said last week he showed a wholly inadequate picture of a banquet. A wedding feast. This is going to be a wedding feast like no other. We're going to be sitting down with Jesus. Every nation. Every tribe. Every tongue. Amen? Father, I just ask in... in my humanness and trying to unpack this text I might have said some things which have not fallen well or been unhelpful and other things which have really cut to the heart and I just pray that as we take communion together this morning looking back on where you've brought us from looking forward to where you're taking us to full of hope for what you've already done and are doing in our lives. Father, I just pray that you'd take those things that I've said that aren't helpful and just push them out of minds and would you plant seeds all over this congregation, all over our online viewers this morning. Plant the seeds of your grace towards ourselves because of the Spirit of God alive in us towards one another and this community. We bless you and as we take communion together, we remember your blood and we thank you. We thank you. We thank you for what you have done. In Jesus' wonderful and precious name, amen. I would be amiss to not say one more thing. If you do not know Jesus, do not take communion to fit in. Rather use your time to come and speak to me right now or somebody else who looks like they might know what to do they'll direct you to someone who does and we'd love to speak to you around the saving faith of Jesus Christ, you may look at this and say I'm not there, I'm not there I haven't even started yet I'm talking to you if that's you then I'm saying I want to talk to you God bless you have a wonderful Sunday, let's just do communion in, in little groups together as you're comfortable be mask sensitive be thoughtful of others communion at the back Let's go for it. You can go outside as well. See you online next week. God bless you guys.